add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a Democratic strategist, a columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C., and a political analyst for news radio station KNX in Los Angeles. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democratic candidates. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling company, or if you have any suggestions or ideas for Deadline DC, the best way to reach me is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Brad Bannon, B-R-A-D-B-A-N-N-O-N, all one word. Welcome to all of you who are watching me on uh, Periscope. Uh, now everyone can watch the show by going to periscope.tv front slash Brad dash Bannon. Uh, excuse me, let me try that again. Periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon. You can also see the show on Facebook Live. Today on Deadline DC... We'll discuss the life and legacy of the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Our guests uh, include Paul Lisnick, legal analyst for WGN-TV in Chicago, Democratic activist Tim Zink, and progressive activist Mark Grimaldi. Our first guest today uh, is Paul Lisnick. Paul has been the political and legal analyst for WGN and TV in Chicago since 2008. He is the host of the Political Report Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Central Time, on which he interviews the leading political figures in Chicago, Illinois, and the United States. Paul has appeared on a number of TV networks, uh, including CNN and Court TV. He is also the author of 13 books, including The Hidden Jury and his first work of fiction, Assume Guilt, which is available now. Paul, welcome back to Deadline DC. Thanks Brad, for good, joining us. Good to be with you. I'm sorry that our topic is the loss of Justice Ginsburg. Yeah, it's a very sad day. It's uh, been very depressing. First of all, what, why don't you talk about the uh, legal leg legacy that Justice Ginsburg leaves behind? Well, so many people talk about the legacy of her and her nearly 30 years on the court as a justice, and, and, and that should be talked about. Um, I mean, she fought for women's rights and civil rights, most notably in a case called uh, United States versus the 
Virginia Military Institute, which did not allow women in. And uh, she wrote the majority opinion for the court in that case, changing the law and allowing women, basically finding no compelling reason to keep women from being admitted. But as a lawyer, uh, she I mean, if she had never become a justice on the Supreme Court, the truth is her work and her advocacy for women's rights uh, all the way through um, would have put her on a pedestal anyway. She was a very petite woman, very uh, small in in uh, in her height, but her size and stature and her impact on the profession uh made her the tallest woman on the planet. Uh, why don't you uh, talk about uh, her? Uh, well, first of all, let's uh, discuss. Uh, it's We're in uh, a strange situation. Uh, Joe Biden is the front runner in the presidential race. Uh, he's certainly not a prohibitive uh, front runner, but uh, he is leading Donald Trump. A lot can happen in 40 days. Uh, but we might be in a strange situation where uh, Joe Biden becomes president. Uh, we might even uh, get a, a new Democratic Senate majority. Uh, but despite all that, we may end up with a, a Supreme Court after Judge Justice Ginsburg replacement uh, that is very conservative and uh, will be in a position to thwart everything that the new Democratic majority hopes to accomplish in the next few years. Uh, what are now uh, 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 the president has said that he is going to nominate. Um, his replacement for Justice Ginsburg on Friday or Saturday. Uh, so the Senate consideration will begin, uh, you know, probably next week sometime. Uh, what are the prospects uh, for uh, Donald Trump's nominee uh, for being approved by the Senate? The bottom line is the prospects are very good. Mitch McConnell, if he's anything, he is a tactician. He understands exactly what has to happen. He'll know if he has the votes. Now, you know, as well as I'm sure a lot of your listeners and viewers, that uh, two Republican senators have already said that they do not think this should proceed. Susan Collins of Maine, who's in a terrible, she's like in the race of her career, uh, and Lisa Murkowski, who's not up for re-election this year, but she of, of Alaska has said she does not think this should, pre should proceed. But you need two more votes. You need four Republicans to stop this from happening. The question is, who would the other two be? Mitt Romney is a possibility. We haven't heard from him, um, but as a, you know, sort of reasonably moderate and, and reasonable uh, Republican, one would think he might step up. Uh, and then there's other names people are, are, are banning about that we can talk about. But I think the really interesting feature here is that in the Arizona race where astronaut Democrat Mark Kelly looks like he will beat Martha McSally in the Arizona Senate race, the reality of it, and listen, Arizona is no, you know, bright red state anymore. Um, you know, th that is a position he might be able to take uh, the oath for much sooner than January. He might take it in November. Well, if that happens, then there's the third ticket, and then you need one more Republican to say they don't, they don't support it. But Mitch McConnell, I started off this answer by saying, is a, is, a, is a tactician. So he knows where the votes are, he knows what his count is, and the reality of it is, if he thinks that he is going to face problems with three to four of his Republicans, he will take that vote before the election. If he believes that Donald Trump is going to lose and the Senate will lose its uh, control uh, by Republicans, he'll take that vote before the elections, although he doesn't have to. We should keep in mind that Joe Biden can win the presidency, Democrats can take over the Senate, and Mitch McConnell has till the end of the year to put a new conservative justice on the Supreme Court. People will scream and yell about it, but there'll be no stopping him. 
Uh, yeah, I'm afraid uh, I'm afraid uh, you might be right about that, Paul. Uh, you know, we can hope uh, Mitt Romney uh, comes out against the uh, prospect of filling the uh, uh uh, the vacancy quickly. Uh, and uh, my guess is that Mark Kelly in Arizona does seem to have uh, a good chance of winning the Senate. My guess is, though, the governor there, who's a Republican, will do everything he can to delay certifying the results of the election uh, to give uh, uh, Mitch McConnell more time uh, to get his nominee through. So uh, we will we'll, we will see. Uh, The bottom line is, Brad, all the Democrats can do, and this is what they're doing. You saw AOC last night in New York with Chuck Schumer taking the microphone. Now, AOC is no fan of Joe Biden. I mean, she doesn't dislike him, but she was a Bernie Sanders supporter. But these days, she was out there basically telling young people, uh, people of of color and and, and different nationalities, you got to vote. You got to get Joe Biden in there. It won't stop this from happening. And to be honest with you, all those folks who felt in 2016, I don't need to vote for Hillary unless we don't have to relive all that. But this was exactly the fear everybody always had in their head, this nightmare scenario happening, which is Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, leaving the court. Well, it has happened. And um, and um, and the Democrats are going to pay a price for it. Yeah, I remember uh, during the 2016 presidential election, uh, I was teaching uh, intro course in American government and politics. And, you know, some of my students, especially the ones who were supporting Bernie Sanders, were very lukewarm about uh, voting for Hillary Clinton. And I remember talking to them, one of the uh, big stakes in the presidential election, whether you uh, were lukewarm about Hillary Clinton or not, uh, was uh, who do you want to make uh, the next Supreme Court appointments, uh, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton? Uh, well, the answer was uh, easy enough for me, uh, but not every, uh, but not everybody, because a lot of uh, uh, Sanders supporters sat out the 2016 election, and it's one of the reasons we have Donald Trump now. Uh, so it is a, a very uh, troubling circumstance. And again, we can only hope that uh, uh, Mitt Romney comes through or some other Republican senator comes through to stop this. Uh, but as you said, uh, Mitch McConnell is a master tactician uh, and uh, there may be no stopping him. So uh, we will see. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's also fascinating the way all Republican senators had their talking points, the same sheet to talk from this past weekend. There were 29 times that a nomination was made when there was a president. This that They all had the same talking points. The bottom line is, in 2016, they all said they should not proceed in an election year. But in 2020, with all the discussion they want to have about why it's now okay, the bottom line is it's pure hypocrisy. That being said, and it's all politics, if the Democrats were in the same position, I think you'd agree, Brad, they would do the same thing. But clearly, where we are, it is complete hypocrisy from Republicans. Okay. Uh, We're going to break now. Uh, For our radio listeners, we'll be staying with our guest, Paul Ziznick. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest in this half hour is Paul Lisnick, who's legal and political analyst for WGN uh, TV in Chicago. 
Uh, Paul, uh, welcome back. Uh, we are discussing uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, uh, you were just about to start telling a t story before you went to break. And very briefly, so I had the opportunity to spend time with Justice Ginsburg uh, once at a Hanukkah party at the White House, which is neither here nor there. But she appeared on my show. I had a half an hour sit down with her, which was fabulous. The one thing that had always been on my mind after Bush versus Gore um, was all the dissenting justices issued these very you know lengthy opinions as to why they dissented. But Justice Ginsburg issued a two word dissent, which said, I dissent. I thought she was angry. I thought she was just, you know, so uh, uh, displeased at what had happened. And so I wanted to ask her that. And so I did. Her answer to the question of were you angry, were you beside yourself, was no, I was exhausted. I thought yeah. that was just interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think probably a lot of people uh, felt the same way. Uh, let's try, uh, let's discuss uh, uh, the idea of expanding the size of the court. Uh, a lot of people... Uh, Democrats have been saying, well, if uh, Mitch McConnell rams through this nomination of a new Supreme Court justice, uh, the Democrats, if we have the Democratic president and a Democratic uh, Senate majority, which is a possibility, not a certainty, uh, next year, uh, should take uh, very strong action. Among the suggestions would be expanding the size of the Supreme Court so the new president, uh, if he is president, Joe Biden can appoint a couple of, uh, you know, progressive or liberal justices to balance the court. Uh, and that would probably require uh abolishing the Democratic filibuster, which would allow the Democrats to take action with just 51 votes instead of the next necessary 60 to break the filibuster. Uh, let's try the expansion of the court first. Uh, the last time Democrats tried to expand the court, I think, was in 1937. Uh, when uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt tried to deal with a conservative Supreme Court uh, by expanding the size of the court so he could make appointees. Uh, it crashed and burned, even though FDR was president and the Democrats had a majority in the Senate uh, and in the House. Uh, what do you think about that idea? Is it something that could happen? I guess it could. I don't expect it to. You know, when you, you talk about Franklin Roosevelt's attempt to stack the court uh, back in those days, uh, two things happened. Number one, he had pushback from both Republicans and Democrats on it. But of course, you're right. He had a very conservative court. But there's something that often got the phrase, the switch in time that saved nine, if you yep. remember that, which is yep. all of a sudden the, that conservative court started seeing the value in the New Deal uh, and in some of the Roosevelt programs. I guess they decided we better shift what we're doing or this guy's going to stack the court. So these days, you know, here's the thing. The Democrats, you know, Chuck Schumer, nothing's off the table. Nancy Pelosi talks about arrows in the quiver. I think she's talking about other things you, you may bring up. But with regard to that one, I think when push comes to shove, you know what, that Republicans do things like that, Democrats just don't. You know, they'll talk and they'll get upset, but when it comes to doing anything that, you know, is along the lines of that's unfair, whatever, it's not what Democrats do. So, uh, I, you know, will Democrats say, we're going to change the rules, we're going to get rid of the filibuster and do that? They'll threaten it. They won't do it. You think it's time for Democrats to toughen up? And I mean, let's face it, the Republicans are about to take a drastic action here, uh, despite their cries about letting a new president 
pick a new Supreme Court justice. They're rushing ahead. They don't care what they said in 2016. Uh, should Democrats, you know, basically just be as tough and ruthless as as Republicans? Is it time for that? I have said to many Democratic congressmen who I know, it, you have got to just what is with you people. You have got to get strong if you're going to stand up. I mean, you just you just you're you're wimps. And I've said that to them. So I'm I, you know, I, I, I hope your, your listeners aren't upset. But um, but but the truth is, uh, it is not in their nature. Their their nature is to let's work things out. Let's let's try and find it's Michelle Obama's. If they go low. We go high. But you're right, Brad. Republicans go low. Uh, and I know this sounds partisan, but this is this is this is factual. You just look at steps that have happened. Now, as I said, Democrats would do the very same thing if they were in this position, but they just tend not to do things the same way. They tend not to be um, vindictive in, in how they do things. So I just think that if if the Democrats do take over the Senate and there's a Democratic president, you know, listen, a lot of people want to see them go after President Trump, put him in jail, lock him up, lock him up. Um, that may happen. I don't know. But the odds are that, uh, you know, the new president and the attorney general will say, let's move on. Let's heal the country. Let's just, you know, start over. It's what Democrats tend to do. Uh, we talked about two possible actions that the new Supreme Court majority might take. Uh, first of all, the Affordable Care Act, which you discussed, and also the new court and the new justice, Republican justice, would probably may have an opportunity to rule on the legitimacy of the presidential election. Another possibility, of course, which is the big conservative uh, cry, which is to uh, nullify Roe v. Wade. Uh, which would be a very drastic action. It would affect American society drastically, uh, you know, make it very difficult for women to have, you know, to make a choice to have an abortion. Uh, do you think the, if we had a new conservative Supreme Court justice, uh, that the new Supreme Court would uh, basically nullify Roe versus Wade? So I'm not sure about that. I can tell you that the likely pick, who is Judge Amy Coney Bryant, uh, 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 I want to say Bryant, it's not Bryant, anyway. Um, Barrett. <laughs> Barrett, thank you. Um, she's obviously, she's very pro-life, she's very religious and all of that, but she has been quoted as saying she doesn't think Roe versus Wade will ever be overturned. That being said, when she wrote a paper listing super precedents, cases that will never be overturned, Roe wasn't among them, along with Brown versus Board of Education and Marbury versus Madison, which were. So the, the, the Supreme Court has not tended to, the, the opponents to Roe versus Wade, their approach has never been to say we need to just overturn this thing. And people should understand, even if they did reverse Roe versus Wade, it doesn't mean abortions become illegal. It means that every state will have to decide for itself whether or not they wish to recognize that right. That comes with its own problems. The way that the court has gone about reducing uh, abortions performed is through all the individual cases that, that work their way up. And, and so, and whether or not the test, which came in a case called Casey versus, or Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992, it's no longer, uh, well, it, what, what matter what is the test? The test is, is it an undue burden on a woman? So every requirement that a state tries to put on a woman, the Supreme Court has to say, is it an undue burden? Must she notify her husband? No, that's an undue burden. Can, does the doctor have to have admitting privileges? The court said this term. No, that's an undue burden. So what tends to happen is states pass these restrictions and restrictions, and each of them works their way up. And now you have a more friendly voice to somebody saying, yeah, I don't think that's an undue burden. Paul, uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I'm sure we'll have you back before the election. I know you're very busy covering this story. So again, thank you very much, very much for joining us. We'll be back with more 
of Deadline DC and our provocative progressive political panel after these messages. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad. The death of Katrina Bush does by the threat to civil liberties and the dangers of the elimination of democratic norms. Just when you thought 2020 couldn't get any worse, it did. The outpouring of grief over the death of Justice Ginsburg is matched only by the rank GOP hypocrisy of Republican senators like Senator Mitch McConnell. Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham, who blocked Barack Obama from filling a Supreme Court vacancy uh, in the Supreme Court in the last year of his presidency, they are now tripping all over themselves to give Trump a chance to fill a vacancy in the last days of his first term of his presidency. Trump will announce the nomination of a replacement for Justice Ginsburg on Friday. The Trump administration never did come up with a fight, a plan to fight the pandemic, but he was quick to make a decision on a Supreme Court nominee when it fit his political needs. We can only hope that the chance to uphold Justice Ginsburg's legacy and the obvious GOP hypocrisy will motivate Americans to elect a Democratic president and toss out the GOP majority in the Senate. The question for the provocative progressive political panel today is whether justice will prevail in these turbulent and troubled times. Our guest panelist today is Tim Zink. Tim is a principal at Molecule, a public affairs and business company. Tim has spent his distinguished career shaping public policy and politics. His Twitter handle is Green Crude. Joining Tim on the panel today is progressive political activist Mark Grimaldi. Mark has worked on get out the vote operations for several Democratic presidential candidates, including Joe Biden. Mark is also active in campaign finance reform and efforts to promote cancer research. His Twitter handle is Mark J. Grimaldi, that's G-R-I-M-A-L-D-I. Okay, uh, first I want to uh, ask uh, Tim, uh, what, is, uh, what was your reaction to hearing the death of Justice Ginsburg uh, Friday night? I was very depressed when I heard the news, and I have been depressed since then. I attribute it to uh, the feeling of a gut punch uh, being leveled right upon me as soon as we felt like we were seeing the light of day uh, and potentially an opportunity to defeat Donald Trump. And I must say that it was a very sad day in this house uh, because of all of the far reaching policy uh, and social justice issues that uh, Justice uh, Ginsburg stood for. And um, so a very bad day. Mark. I was actually, you know, I, I think I've talked about this before, but I have three and five year old daughters and um, I was just about to give my three-year-old a bath and I got the notification on my phone and uh, I happened to be in the other room and I just, I didn't, it didn't even hear, feel it come out of my mouth. And I just screamed a no and, and dropped my phone. And it, it felt like honestly losing someone in my own family, which unfortunately I I'd gone through at a young age. Um, 
you know, it was not at this level, but you know, I, when I was 17 to, to 19, I lost my, um, mother, uh, aunt, um, grandmother and grandfather all within a period of like 18 months. And I remember by the end of that, I was just completely numb. Um, and, uh, you know, thankfully I've had a good run of, uh, my family being healthy and, and staying intact. Um, from then on, you know, the past 20, 21 years. Um, but it, it reminded me of, again, not on that exact level, but that amount of shock and, and pain. And then like Tim said, you know, all these fights, like the Affordable Care Act, for instance, which 20 million people rely on for health insurance and the fact that other people who get health insurance through their job um, are protected, those people with pre-existing conditions, which if you look at the list of pre-existing conditions, you're probably on there or someone in your family is, that is now very realistically on the chopping block if we don't fight like this is the fight of our lives to pressure the Senate not to take up this nomination until after the election. Um, because if not, you know, think about all the work that was put in, all the political capital of President Obama's, you know, first 100 days that he had to put in and deal with all the misinformation and, and get this vote through just to give people health care. And, and now, as painful as the losses of Justice Ginsburg, we have all these other lives that are going to be at risk during a pandemic where we've already lost 200,000 American lives. And really, like, health care is going to be taken away from 20 million people during that time. It's just... As much of, you know, Tim said it, I felt it physically too. It felt like I got punched in the gut. And, um, you know, my daughters looked at me and they just knew something was wrong and I couldn't lie to them. But then to try to explain to them, you know, daddy, daddy really liked this judge is what I had to say. And she died, honey, you know, and it's, it's very sad. And, uh, you know, kids are really smart and they're really perceptive. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of why I fight and why I don't just put my head down and, and bury it in a, a pillow and, and, and throw my hands up. And it's it's not just for us, it's for our future generations. So I think that's what we have to steel ourselves against, that temptation to just throw the towel in and turn it, channel that energy into something positive to, to fight, and if nothing else, to honor the late Justice Ginsburg and how she fought for all of us. Yeah, our guest in the first half hour, uh, WGN-TV political analyst Paul Lisnick, uh, was uh, not particularly optimistic on the ability of Democrats to hold off uh, a, uh, a uh, new Republican uh, justice to fill the Ginsburg vacancy. There have been two Republican senators uh, who've basically, to some degree, said they wouldn't vote on a uh, new nominee before the election, but it requires four. Uh, and if there is a new Republican justice, uh, there would also, there would be, that would maybe the first casualty is the Affordable Care Act. There's a 
next hearing scheduled uh, on the Supreme Court uh, on November 10th uh, to hear a challenge to the Affordable Care Law, and that may be the first casualty. And as Paul pointed out, we, the new justice may ironically uh, be in a position to rule on the legitimacy of the election results this year, uh, which would make it even more horrible. And then there's Roe versus Wade, which, uh, you know, conservatives have been, uh, you know, you know, aching to get rid of. Uh, and I'm sure that would be a casualty. So it's, uh, uh, you know, not really, uh, you know, very good news. Uh, Tim, let me ask you about this because it just came up this morning. The Justice Department uh, ruled that Seattle, Washington, Portland, Oregon and New York City, uh, they've designated those three cities as anarchist jurisdictions, um, oh. which, you know, Sounds pretty fascist to me. Uh, could mean a cut off to federal funding in those cities, which I don't think would cat pass constitutional muster. But these days, you never know. Uh, your reaction to that, Tim? I guess we should uh, designate Washington D.C. a fascist, a fascist <laughs> jurisdiction. Um, you know, it's 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 kind of becoming pretty close to that there, at least around Pennsylvania yeah, Avenue in the White House, right? Well, here's what I think. It's ridiculous. Okay, this is uh, Seattle in particular, which I know uh, very, very well, as you know. I've been here my whole life, and this is the fastest growing economic uh, engine in the United States right now. Uh, we are the most uh, heavily dependent on foreign trade than any other state in the nation. This place is on fire. Our economy has stabilized here since COVID, and we continue to grow jobs in the Northwest. We are the engine of many parts of the West and the United States, overtaking places like California in terms of economic uh, empowerment and economic opportunity. So if this is that kind of place that the Justice Department is speaking, um, you know, we got a big problem, folks. Yeah, I, yeah, we really do. Uh, anyway, uh, our guest today on the uh, Deadline DC with Brad Bannon on the Provocative Progressive Political Panel, our Democratic strategist Tim Zink, uh, and progressive activist Mark Grimaldi. Uh, we're going to go to break uh, in a minute for our radio listeners, but when we come back, uh, we are going to discuss further the uh, death of uh uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And we're also going to discuss a, another big issue, which is an especially big issue in the Pacific Northwest, where Tim is, uh, climate change. Uh, but uh, if you want to uh, stick, our radio listeners are going to go hear the news for a couple of minutes. Our video listeners will stick with us. Uh, and uh, just everybody hold on and we'll be back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon uh, to discuss Ruth Bader Ginsburg and climate change uh, after these messages. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. 
We are in the middle of our provocative progressive political panel. Our guests today are uh, Democratic strategist and climate activist Tim Zink and progressive activist Mark Grimaldi. Uh, Tim, while we're still on the subject of climate change, uh, you are working on a project in Washington state, which I'm proud to be a part of actually, uh, yeah. clean energy campaign. Can you uh, spend a couple minutes and uh, talk about that, please? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, Washington state legislature and the, and the governor are looking at a clean fuel standard in the state of Washington. Uh, 47% of the carbon emissions in this state are directly related to the burning of fossil fuels from transportation. California has enacted these uh, statutes, uh, Oregon, uh, many states in Europe. Uh, in fact, the entire EU has in implemented these, these statutes and most of Canada today. Washington being one of the last holdouts in on the West Coast. It's really important because the only way we can attack transportation emissions and reduce those transportation emissions is incentivize the use and adoption of new fuels. What we're working on, Brad, is to get the legislature to stand up and pass legislation uh, that, would that would enact uh, rules around the carbon intensity of transportation fuels. Uh, and if they want more information about that, where can they go on the web, Tim? Yeah, they can go to www.cleanfuelwa.com. Okay. Uh, let's get back. I want to ask uh, the panel a philosophical question, uh, which was raised by our guest in the first half hour, uh, Paul Lisnick, uh, legal analyst for WGN-TV, who's been covering the story on uh, Ruth G Bader Ginsburg for the last couple days. Uh, he made an interesting point, which I'd like the panel to react to. Uh, basically, uh, some Democrats have said basically that if uh, Mitch McConnell is successful in pushing through a uh, uh, new conservative justice before the election, the Democrats retaliate uh, by eliminating the filibuster rule in the Senate uh, and using uh, that opportunity uh, to expand the size of the Supreme Court. Now, my question is, Paul made the point and it made me think that, you know, that's something Republicans can do. I mean, look at the Republican hypocrisy on filling this vacancy after stonewalling Barack Obama's nominee in 2016, and they're doing it without hesitation. And Paul's point is, uh, you know, he doesn't think Democrats, you know, have the stones basically to go ahead and fulfill on that threat if they have the opportunity to do so if there's a Democratic president and if there's a Democratic Senate majority. Uh, Mark, what do you think? I think he makes a great point. Um, I think we need to fight tougher as Democrats because this is a completely different time than than things in the past. I mean, Donald Trump accepted help from the Russian government to win the last election, and I say win very loosely, and then obstructed the Mueller investigation into that. I mean, we've he's accepted help from a foreign nation and now he's you know, his impeachment was about trying to do it again. And now, you know, he's he's openly trying to do it again and 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 suppressing votes. And I mean, 200,000 people have died. We have the world's worst covid response and he knew about it. And now, you know, his enablers in the Senate with with Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham and company are 
they already stole one Supreme Court justice at the end of the Obama administration with Merrick Garland. So that's one. And now they're going to try to do another one and break their own rule. So my question is, is if they're willing to do all that and the stakes are now losing the Affordable Care Act and 20 million people who are currently using it, uh, plus losing uh, Roe v. Wade and a woman's right to control her own body, I mean, when else are you going to step up and try something different? Like you said, and like Paul said, whether it's fair or not, they're within their rights to fill this seat, even though it's their own made-up rule. Well, the Democrats would be within their rights to expand the court if that is done. If nothing else, you make that promise that you're going to do that now so they know that if they do that, and, and the public knows, Democrats are on the record saying, if you do this, this is what our response is going to be. And they can either back down and wait for the next president to fill the seat, or they know that they trigger that action. And that's what I, that's what my approach would be. I understand people saying, Oh, it would be extreme, but that's how we tried to fight in 2016 and right after 2016. And where has it gotten us? Uh, Tim, you want to weigh in on this uh, question? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a devout institutionalist, but I just threw that out the door. I think we need to fight tooth and nail, and I think we need to go at it, fight knives with machine guns. Absolutely. And I think absolutely everything needs to be on the line, including expanding the size of the court and the federal judiciary and addressing issues like climate change that are going to destroy this economy and this world forever. So, yeah, we got to go for it. Well, let me ask you this, Tim. Uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly, but... uh, Demo, uh, Republicans talk tough and then they act tough. Right. Uh, Democrats have a tendency to talk tough and then play by the rules. Uh, and the Republicans don't care about the rules. I mean, what's going on now with the Republican majority is just the height of rank hypocrisy. But, you know, they don't care. They don't worry about it. Gee, do, you know, do Americans see us as hypocrites? Uh, they, Republicans just don't care. Um, Democrats tend to be more serious and thoughtful about this. And, you know, while I admire that, it also hurts us. So, so do you think, let's say, you know, Joe Biden does become president. Let's say Chuck Schumer uh, does become majority leader with the de- new Democratic majority in the Senate. Uh, do you think they'd follow through on a promise to abolish the filibuster rule and then uh, increase the size of the Supreme Court uh, to get a couple of uh, more liberal justices uh, on the high on on the bench? I think if they don't, they take on a massive political bow wave of attention from the moder- the liberal or uh, left wing of the party that they will never, and they will always regret not having weighed in 120%. I think we're to the point now we've hit a tipping point where many folks like me and my age who were our traditionalists uh, think we need to go fight tooth and nail. And now is the time to do it. We have to rescue our democracy and our Republic. Uh, Let's say that, uh, you know, Let's say that Mitch McConnell is able to ram through uh, a new uh, conservative replacement for Justice Ginsburg, and Paul Lisnick thought that he may succeed in that. Um, We still don't know. Um, But if he does succeed, um, 
what kind of outcry do you think there would be uh, if uh, the country is facing the end of the Affordable Care Act? And also, uh, conservatives get their, you know, basically their, you know, their pipe dream of decades now and nullify uh, a woman's right to choose as reflected in the Roe versus Wade uh, position. Uh, what kind of outcry do you think there would be, Mark? I think it, you would see people in the streets uh, similar to how you saw people in the streets following the killing of George Floyd, because you, when your health care is going to be ripped away during a pandemic, it's basically for some people their right to stay alive if they can't pay for treatments. And you have to remember, there's so many people who have survived COVID-19, but now have these underlying medical conditions that could kill them. So if you go back to the bad old days of cancer patients being rejected treatment because you know they can't afford it, or if you need to switch health providers, you can't get health insurance again because you had a pre-existing condition, um, you know, and all this bluster from Trump saying, "Oh, you could keep your, you know, we'll we'll protect you from pre-existing conditions." They haven't come up with an actual health insurance plan since he was elected. Remember the skinny repeal in the Senate that <laughs> God rest his soul John McCain thankfully voted against. They still couldn't come up with a plan and now their health care plan is, "We'll tell you after the election what it is." So, I yeah, think the right. I think you would see absolute just rage and chaos. People would just which is very dangerous because you don't know what's going to happen from then on. This so-called seemingly extreme move, move of expanding the court may be one of the only things you can do to keep things from going off the rails completely. Okay, uh, that's it for Deadline DC today. That's all, friends. Uh, thanks to our guest, uh, Paul Lisnick of WGN-TV News in Chicago. Uh, Democratic strategist and climate activist Tim Zink, and progressive activist Mark Grimaldi. I'm here Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. If the Lord is willing, the creek don't rise, Trump doesn't declare martial law, and if the Justice Department doesn't declare deadline D.C. an anarchist jurisdiction. <laughs> this is Brad Bannon. Stay strong, stay safe, and don't drink the Clorox or the Kool-Aid. I don't care what the president and the attorney general say. We'll be with back with you uh, next week. As we reopen, don't you want your pocket of America to still feel like its own? Or places with the best barbecue? Or where you can dress like a rock star? Or the one with the biggest donut? Or finding new ways online and in person to be there for you? A small town feeling where your friends, instead of that chain, still recommend their guy. So, when you bring your idea to everyone, remember... GoDaddy is here to help you make it happen with websites, marketing tools, and guidance for free. Learn more at GoDaddy.com. As we reopen, small businesses are finding new ways online and in person to be there for you. So, when you bring your idea to everyone, remember, GoDaddy is here to help you make it happen with websites, marketing tools, and guidance for free. Learn more at GoDaddy.com.